0: Blog TALK RADIO It's Pundus Pub from New York City, Greensboro, North Carolina, and Lincoln, Nebraska. I'm Stephen Love. Pundits Pub is powered by the Blog Talk Radio Network, and now we can be found on iTunes. We're also part of the Stitcher and TuneIn podcast networks. Don't forget to like our Pundits Pub Facebook page and follow us on Twitter at Pundits Pub. Pundits Pub will be at the annual Left Forum this weekend at the John Jay College of the City University of New York. And we're especially looking forward to the sessions and le- lectures involving Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist and author Chris Hedges, as well as economist Michael Hudson from the University of Missouri, who has, has to have the, the sanest things to say about debt and banking that I personally have ever heard in my life. And if you don't know who these people are, just go online. They're all over YouTube. Recently, some scholars did a study called Public Acceptance of Evolution that asked people in various countries whether the statement, quote, human beings, as we know them, developed from earlier species of animals, unquote. Is that statement true or false, or whether the respondent is not sure or does not know? Over 80% of the people in Iceland or Denmark believe evolution is true. In France, it's approaching 80%. Guess where America is? 40%. Around 50, 15% of Americans are not sure, and 45% think evolution is false. And if you go to Williamstown, Kentucky, you can go to Ark encounter just go to arkencounter.com and you can choose from a variety of ticket options as you plan your visit to the life-size Noah's Ark go with a combo ticket or annual pass to experience the ark's sister attraction the high-tech creation museum that's where you can see the dinosaurs and humans coexisting in the same Historical reality. They were all together about 6,000 years ago. A couple of weeks ago, against my better judgment, I had a conversation with a fellow I know who self identifies as right wing. I asked him why he keeps voting for people whose agenda does not take into account his best interests. He asked me what I meant by that. I gave him several examples, including eliminating anti-pollution regulations that would result in accelerating climate change and the destruction of nature, and of course he was skeptical. Maybe climate change is happening, but he doesn't believe it's caused by human activity. I told him around 98.5% of scientists say climate change is caused by human activity. He said, that can't be true. I asked him what he would think if he whether he would think it's true if 80% of scientists thought so. He said, "No, they're they're wrong, it can't be." WTF Are these people morons? Why do conservatives believe what they believe and why do liberals believe what they believe? Is there any such thing as objective reality? Are Facts Even Facts Anymore? Special guest is John R. Hibbing, Foundation Regent University Professor of Political Science at the University of Nebraska in Lincoln, Nebraska. Professor Hibbing is co-author of the book, Predisposed, Liberals, Conservatives, and the Biology of Political Differences, which was published in 2013. I think this book is probably more important today than it was when it was published, given the rise of Trump. Most people would probably say that political beliefs are determined by the influence of upbringing or cultural context. The professor rejects this notion. His message is that political beliefs result from predispositions formed by psychological, cognitive, physiological, and Genetic Influences, Pundit's Pub, number six, left versus right. It's the biology, stupid. Professor Hibbing, welcome to Pundit's Pub. Happy to be with you, Stephen. Thank you. Professor, is it even possible to change anyone's mind about a political issue?
1: It is possible to change some people's minds, but I would say it's extremely difficult to change the mind of <clears throat> someone who is deeply committed, um, and those are the people who are making the most noise in politics these days. So I, I do think a lot of us bang our heads against the wall and, and try to change the minds of someone whose politics we deeply disagree with when you know, your chances of really getting through to that person are, are really very slim.
0: So how do we get anything done in the meantime? And, and, uh, I mean, we're, we're seeing gridlock in Congress. Um, I, I was, let's say I was born in uh, the last year of uh, the Eisenhower administration, 1959, and through most of my life and adult life, we, we, we had examples of Republicans and Democrats working together. W- what happened?
1: Well, I would say a lot of that can be traced to structural kinds of things, and and it has to do with the, the things you mentioned before, the cultural context. Uh, we had some really important changes, the demise of Southern Democrats. You know, who would have thought we might lament that? Uh, but you know, in a way, they they kind of shuffled the deck a little bit in Congress because you had um, liberal Democrats, you had conservative Republicans, and you had the Southern Democrats that were kind of floating, usually conservative, but. Uh, but doing some things that really forced people to compromise to get things done. And now as those those forces have pulled apart into what I believe is really a more natural, not that I think it's good, but it's a, a more organic kind of natural division between the left and the right, uh, it's made things a lot more difficult.
0: Right. Now let's get to your – now I did read your book, by the way, Cover to yeah. Cover. Well, I, I'm honored. Thank you and and i i uh, got it at amazon go to amazon.com and you can find the professor's book um or barnes and noble if you uh prefer um i uh i think it's uh, it's fascinating and and uh, was i correct in the in, in the intro that basically you are uh sort of going against what maybe common wisdom is and and, and that uh liberals and conservatives are sort of uh that way based on, a bio, based on biology. Is that true? That is true.
1: But let me make an important kind of emendation there. Um, I think a lot of people equate biology with genetics, and okay. certainly genetics would be part of our biology. But there are a lot of things that do happen as a result of socialization and cultural context and searing events that can affect our biology as well. There's a a famous example in neuroscience of uh, a study done in London where they looked at the brains of taxi drivers. They did MRIs on them, and they found that the longer a person drove a taxi in a very large, complicated city where directionality and memory are crucial, the hippocampus actually changed shape for the taxi drivers. So I like to mention that because there you have an example of something that's very biological. I mean, what could be more biological than the shape of your hippocampus? But yet it wasn't that these individuals happened to be born into the life of a taxi driver. Uh, it was that their experiences actually got instantiated into their biology. So I guess I'd just like to point out that it's not an either or here, that I do think it's biology in the sense that it's become deeply ingrained. It's not just something that's uh, cerebral. It's It's gone down into our limbic system and, and deeper than that. Uh, so that's back to your original question. I think that's what makes it very difficult to change a lot of people's minds because political beliefs really become a way of life, not just a belief.
2: Right.
0: And the thing that really, I think one of the most important things about your book is, is putting forth the idea that, you know, so, I mean, the, the left, uh, right divide is, is a dichotomy and, and, and so much of the way we approach understanding many things in, uh, on this planet is, 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 By setting up dichotomies. But what you put forth is that you're you're very um, you take great pains to talk about probabilities and about yardsticks and 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 spectrums rather than simply placing people in uh, in silos where where, okay you go, you're a liberal, you go in the liberal silo, you're a conservative, you go in the, the conservative silo. Right. No, yeah,
1: I'm I'm glad you, you picked that up, because it's certainly true. We're, we can't put people in boxes. So it's it's a spectrum, uh, probably more than one spectrum, but, you know, there is one that, that we emphasize more than anything else, and that's the, the spectrum that rages from people who are um, very oriented toward the in-group and therefore are interested in security and are probably not that keen on immigration and want law and order and want strong leaders who talk tough, um, and then those people who really are you know, kind of repulsed by all those things I just described, who who want a more open society with lots of different people speaking lots of different languages and are not that, you know, hell-bent on, on defense. Uh, we call it threat sensitivity. Um, in all of our studies, we find that some individuals are more threat-sensitive than others. And those who are more threat-sensitive, perhaps not surprisingly, advocate public policies that are going to, in their minds, mitigate some of these threats, especially threats posed by other human beings.
0: Right, right. So being, you know, be, being suspicious of uh, outsiders, of, of immigrants, of Mexican rapists, and Muslims. Yes, no, I think that's, <laughs>
1: that's exactly, exactly what's happening now. And um, you know, right. I think yeah, some of the things that we hear from the administration these days, I think are are perfect echoes. And the fact that a lot of the followers of of President Trump are you know, so deeply committed, you know, they, they may fade away at some point, but they're not ready to do that now. And I think a lot of that is not just that they kind of like a couple of his policy positions is that he, you know, he is one of them and they feel it uh, down deep in their guts.
0: Right. Well, in a way you can, this can almost also describe teenage girls on the cheerleading team. (laughs) They're on, they're in the in group and uh right. the the artistic girl who writes poetry and whatever she's gonna be uh looked at uh, in a different way but again getting- getting back to maybe the biology of this the 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 four divisions that you discuss physiology or psychology uh mm-hmm. cognition and mm-hmm. and um genetics and you, you you talk about the um the taxi drivers in in London but you also discuss um Two other structures in the uh, in the in the brain, the um, amygdala is that how you say mm-hmm. it? Amygdala. That's it. That's and right. the and, and the anterior cingulate cortex. Right. And how um, you, you see and is what is it through an MRI you see differences in re- the readings? This is this is actual uh, experimental data, correct? You see differences right. between. right right and left in in, in MRIs. Could you tell us
1: more about that? Sure, sure. Yeah. Um, What we did was put uh, about 100 people in a brain scanner, an MRI, and um, they didn't have to do much. All we asked them to do was to look at pictures one at a time. And some of these pictures were kind of happy things like sunsets and kids having a good time outside and ladies enjoying themselves on a ski slope and Uh, fruit displays and others were uh, on the other side of the spectrum that were very distasteful kinds of things. Uh, Individuals vomiting, um, a guy eating worms, um, hurricane damage, a wrecked car, a rat, uh, a vicious dog. So um, what we did was we just wanted to see if there were patterns in, in the way different parts of the brain would respond. And uh, it turned out that we uh, got to the point where we could just show people um, one or two pictures and look at the MRI results and make a really accurate prediction about whether or not they were on the left or the right. And uh, the two parts of the brain that you mentioned were crucial in this. Um, The the amygdala is a part of the brain that is uh, associated with a lot of things, but one of them is a fear response. So uh, we did see when, when we'd show, especially kind of mutilation pictures or Um, you know, what they call violations of the body envelope, uh, uh, open wound Mm -hmm. or something like that, uh, then we definitely see that the amygdala of people on the right was more responsive. Um, And uh, on the left, uh, we tended to get a little bit of action in a a region you didn't mention, and that's something called a somatosensory 2, which is a part of the brain that's active when you're in pain, but also when you see others in pain. Mm. So we don't know for sure, but our hypothesis is that people on the left were perhaps uh, had had a greater activation in the somatosensory too because they were having an empathic reaction. They'd, they'd see that uh, mutilated body and not be really fearful of it, but uh, but would have them, uh, you know feel sorry for the person. So yeah, right. uh, to go back back to your point that there are parts of the brain that do seem to distinguish between liberals and conservatives,
0: at least in this particular task. Right, and there's so many other things too. So much other data in in, in different realms, and so the, the going to the the kind of food that people like, and and um, and 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 red uh, meat and potatoes is kind of conservative, and arugula is liberal, or Chardonnay yeah, I versus I mean, <laughs> versus
1: beer. I'm, I'm now, sure a lot of your uh, listeners are rolling their <laughs> eyes at this point, but yeah, it's true. You know, taste. Uh, my favorite question is. If you had a choice between your favorite meal or a new and exciting dish, which would you pick? And, you know, there's a pretty strong correlation with conservatives saying they want their, you know, their favorite meal and liberals are more likely um, to say that they want a new and exciting dish. Taste in art, you know, uh, do you like uh, art that's realistic and simplistic or do you like it to be complex and, and modern? Um, you see a difference between liberals and conservatives. Should poetry rhyme? Conservatives say yes and liberals, you know, are, are not really all that strong one way or the other um right. so uh, that's back to my point about being kind of a way of life there are these these patterns and how people think their tastes uh it's not just that they've been socialized into certain things i think this, this reflects a very deeper orientation to uh comfortable things things that have worked in the past and if you're threat sensitive that's going to be something that attracts you much more than if you're somebody who's really uh, not that worried about threats
0: right now I, I have to confess that supposedly i'm i'm liberal but I think for most of my life, I think I, I'm a moderate. I think mm-hmm. that the nation, ha- the nation has lurched so far to the to the right yeah. <laughs> that it seems that I'm I'm on the left. But I I like meat and potatoes, and I don't like trying new food. I like I I would rather have my favorite meal, and mm-hmm. that's it. So I guess I'm um, an exception.
1: You are, but, you know, there are a lot of them because, uh, you know, I'm a social scientist, and we need to get used to correlations that are really quite low. In you know, other words, there are a lot, of, a lot of things that just, uh, you know, it's not like you can say there's an ironclad law and all conservatives like meat and potatoes. Um, if these numbers mean anything to you, these correlations usually are in the 0.2 to 0.3 range, and they could go all the way up to 1.0. So uh, it is positive in the direction we expect, but uh, I'm glad you pointed out that there's a lot of people who don't fit these patterns.
0: Yeah, yeah. All right, let's open it up. Let's uh, bring in uh Professor Falcon here. He's our contributing editor in Greensboro, North Carolina. Falcon, how are you tonight?
2: I am of course the exception. Nothing new there.
0: Oh. How are you the exception? Are you are you are you a liberal or a conservative?
2: Oh, you knew better than to even ask. <laughs> Do you not?
0: Well, our audience uh doesn't know, so
2: what are you? Mm-hmm. Benevolent question
0: <laughs> Democracy
2: can't work. And I'm sure mm-hmm. that in the great state of North Carolina, where you would ask how many people believed in evolution, it might be one percent.
0: Ooh. Well that's mm-hmm. a whole another another thing, the, the 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 effect of religious uh, fundamentalists. Um but that's cultural uh Professor Hibbing, is it not? So we were, here we're going back to you know nature versus nurture, and I know that's another dichotomy. Um, but you seem to you seem to leave the door open for cultural influences as well. no?
1: definitely. But I also think that the a kind of attraction to more fundamentalists and you know uh, a lot of certainty in, in your religious beliefs, I think that's that fits really nicely with this desire for. Traditionalism and security and uh, favoring the in-group So, yeah, I guess I, I see a kind of connection Between conservative religious beliefs And conservative political beliefs
0: All Right. Speaking of uh, exceptions So there, there's, there's a middle ground, is there not? And, and I think that uh, do, do you think that there are more moderates Or people in the middle in some total Than really hard left and hard right? If you look at
1: all the polling political science data, the answer is yes. There's a nice bell-shaped distribution, and if you ask people lots of questions on their political beliefs, more people are in the middle than are on the left and the right. One thing I think we have to add to that uh, simple finding, though, is that if you restrict that to just people who feel strongly about politics, then you start to see a bimodal distribution. In other words, a lot of the people in the middle uh, are a little bit more casually interested in politics. And then when the discussions really get intense, this is when you see the kind of dichotomy, the, the left versus right, that many of
0: us find so off-putting. Right. And so, well, that's the thing, off-putting. People in the middle mm-hmm. don't like to... They're more apt to avoid discussing politics and religion at the pub, unlike us here at Pundits Pub, where we encourage it.
1: That's right. A lot of people in the middle, they just don't get it. What's what's the big deal about politics? How do people get so worked up about it? Why can't we just get along? And, you know, I think that's because they they haven't really, uh, you know, in our words, they don't have the kind of predispositions that animate people who have strong political beliefs. Right. Some of us simply
2: see the futility
1: of -hmm. engaging
2: in polarizing conversations that come to no good end, except one stupidity followed by another.
1: Exactly. No, that's well put. And that, that's why uh, kind of maybe controversially at the end of the book, we argue more for compromise than for deliberation. In other words, the idea that, you know, somebody you really disagree with, you can sit down with them and eventually come to some kind of accord in the middle. We think that rarely happens with people who have these strong beliefs. And so you're probably just going to have to say, look, I need to compromise with this guy because he has just a very different way of experiencing the world. Now, obviously, you can't compromise with everybody. Uh, we have to make sure this is within the bounds of, you know, of, of uh, appropriate democratic discussion points. But um, beyond that, I, I guess I'm kind of a pessimist in terms of finding something that is objectively true. I think we just have to say their prisms are so different than ours that we need to accept we're never going to change that.
0: But then that again leaves the middle. Those are the people, and and any politician will tell you this: you have to grab the middle, yeah, in order. In order to win the win the country, really. That's right. No, I think that's true. And and I, and it
1: potentially does give the middle a lot of power.
0: Yes, which maybe isn't all bad. But it's a strange thing, again, though, that the, you know the the United States. Like there are other countries in 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 the, certain countries in Europe where the 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 turnout for elections is just huge, and we're just a bunch of I don't know. Are we lazy? Are we? Well, I always vote. I always vote, but so many people don't vote and again that goes back to what falcon said is you know it's sort of like what you know why bother i think so many people think that no matter what they do no matter what they say that they can have no effect on on the course of the events um and and that's kind of depressing
2: no it's in fact the reality and the other fact of the matter that we don't face is a comment made by Bronowski and a similar comment made by Arthur Kessler. Kessler said, absolute truth murders absolutely. It doesn't matter whether it's left or it's right. You may remember at the end of The Ascent of Man when Bronowski knelt down at Auschwitz, picked up the ashes, and asked how this could happen. The answer was that it wasn't science or technology. It was arrogance, ignorance, and dogma. And both the left and the right are replete in arrogance, ignorance, and dogma. And I see no good end coming from either extreme. Yikes. Well, there you have it.
0: Well... So that means the middle has to take over. Good but luck. They're, they're not they're not <laughs> They're not likely to.
1: The trouble with the middle is again, I don't want to offend anybody, but on average, they are significantly less informed than the people with the strong political beliefs.
0: Right. I I think the the attitudes kind of like, well, that's why we we you know, we have the people in government there. That's their job. They're supposed to take care of all this stuff, but in the meantime you're not looking and they're just sort of uh, robbing you blind while you're not looking. Uh, That's the, that's, that's the frustrating thing. All right. Now one thing that I don't think is in your book, I I hope I didn't miss it if it is, but any, uh, you know, you you discuss a number of experiments and studies and um, uh, has there ever been a study of IQ on the left and the right.
1: <laughs> I was really hoping we might be able to make it through this program without talking about that. Really? Um, they're not my studies. Can I can I preface it by, by saying that? Sure. Um, and maybe before I get into the, the punchline, I'll say one other thing that we haven't quite <laughs> brought up yet that I think is important. And that is the difference between kind of social conservatives and economic conservatives. Mm-hmm. And in our experiments, uh, where we do things like, you know, we see if people are responding more to a disgusting image, and we find that conservatives are, um, we tend to get much stronger results if we just restrict the issues to social issues. In other words, uh, economic conservatives, economic liberals, or economic conservatives—you might call them a libertarian—perhaps um, they are not that different uh, in the way they respond psychologically, cognitively, physiologically in our work uh, than the social conservatives. So it does seem like social issues tend to really differentiate people. And that's why I think Trump, the Trump phenomenon has been fairly supportive of our, of our results, because it seems to me the real—I mean, Trump, some people say he's an economic populist, but if you listen to him, like issues on free trade, really for Trump, that's not an economic doctrine. That's a social doctrine. It's in-group, out-group. You know, the, the Chinese are killing us, and we've got to get back on track— uh, you know, we're losing jobs to Mexico. It's, it's very in-group, out-group. Uh, and so to me, this, this kind of fits. Um, so I think social issues, immigration, in-group, out-group, that's, that to me is where people are, are really living. That's not to say that economic issues aren't important. Clearly, Bernie Sanders showed that you can get a lot of traction with them. But I think they are a little bit less organic in a way in, in terms of bubbling up from these kind of evolutionary kinds of things. All right. So back to your question. Um, There has been research done which shows uh, on the basis of IQ that actually uh, liberals and libertarians or economic conservatives are about the same in IQ. In fact, libertarians are a few points above. Social conservatives are the kind of odd group out, and they uh, are about 10 points lower in IQ, according to some studies. Again, not mine.
2: Okay. Well, that would explain North Carolina quite nicely.
0: (laughs) Oh, boy. All right. Well, that makes me feel a little bit better. But here's the thing, uh, Professor. I, uh, you know, when you you look at, I, I guess we can find weird exceptions to it. I, I, I know this uh, fellow I went to college with. He's a cardiologist. I mean, to be a cardiologist, I think you have to be, you know, fairly intelligent. And uh, actually, you need to... Have a good head on your shoulders, I would think. But he's this—he spews this right-wing yeah. nonsense that is just crazy. And 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 I even look at what's his name, um, Ben. Uh, who's he? What Carson. Carson. Ben Carson. <laughs> uh, he, right. the, the guy's a, a brain surgeon, and it, it, he's also like a dope. How do you account for that?
1: Well, first of all, remember these correlations are really sloppy. This is not the natural science; this is the social science. So we've got a lot of exceptions, and and I don't mind that. You know, I think it's it's really kind of refreshing to say that the human condition is not predictable, but there are these patterns. Um, you know, I think the narrative about the the Trump victory is not directly correct. Um, you know, let's not lose sight of the fact that like 42% in exit polls of, of college-educated people voted for Trump.
2: 62
1: mm-hmm. percent of um, of white women voted for. Uh, for Trump, Trump won every income bracket above $50,000 and lost every income bracket below $50,000. Twenty percent mm. of Hispanics voted for Trump. Uh, a significant portion of the LGBTQ community voted for Trump. So, you know, I think that's what makes it interesting. The demographics are not deterministic either. And so, the you know these individuals you're mentioning, whether it's Ben Carson or your your doctor friend. Um, you know I think they're they're reflecting something that for whatever reason uh, they feel deeply in their souls physiologically and psychologically and that to me is what's really interesting
0: but you 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 do you, um I think it's in your last chapter or your second last chapter you you do the um put up the famous Daniel Patrick Moynihan quote right. uh where he said um everybody's entitled to their own opinion but not their own facts and I don't know. It seems to me when I I try to have a sort of debate with someone on the right, let's say, about tax policy and try to sort of trace how in the past four decades, basically the 1% and corporations have basically gone on a tax boycott. And I talk about how the year I was born, 1959... Uh, something like 35, 36% of all federal tax revenues came from corporations. And today that number is, I'm not talking about the bracket. I'm talking about actual revenues. And today that number is 9% because so many corporations don't even pay tax. And um, the individual top rate was 90%. And today that's what? 39%. And, and, you say this to them and they just sort of, they just don't even acknowledge it. It's like, it's not true. But then I, I suppose if you have a conversation with um, the other side th- that, and, and you said one plus one equals two, they would agree with you. So is it just math that people can agree on ultimately? Actually,
1: apparently not even that. There's an interesting study done where they,
0: um,
1: they, they set this up so it's kind of a not really complicated, but you have to stop and think a little bit. There's some numbers about whether or not uh, a fictitious gun control policy uh, diminished the number of, of uh, gun-related uh, crimes in these different municipalities. And you have to work through and calculate a couple of percents to get the answer right. But it turns out that if you're a conservative and a supporter of gun rights, you'll get the math problem wrong in order to say that gun control doesn't work. If you're a liberal and a supporter of gun control, then you'll do just the opposite. You'll actually, uh, frequently people will get that math problem wrong to say, yeah, they, these numbers show that gun control is successful when they didn't show that at all. So, you know, it looks like these, what we call motivated reasoning in political psychology. You know, you start from... A belief, and then you try to structure the whole world around that belief. Um, that I'm sorry to say, even extends to math problems, history. You know, you've probably seen the study where conservatives insisted that uh, President Obama shook the hand of former Iranian President uh, Ahmadinejad, uh, when it's yeah. not remotely true, and, and uh, liberals insisted that George Bush, I think, was vacationing in the Caribbean with Roger Clemens or something during uh, Hurricane Katrina, which. Wasn't true either, but so you know we. Mm-hmm. But it's such a nice thing to believe. You know we love to be affirmed, and we love the whole narrative of, of the world to fit around that, our particular belief that that we uh, play fast and loose with, loose with the facts.
0: Well, I think that's why Trump was so successful. Is because so many millions of people saw him on The Apprentice, and they they, they thought, oh, this is I like this. This is what I like. He's gonna okay. he's gonna he's, he's gonna uh, get everybody in line. yeah i mean we really do fantasy
1: yeah you know uh uh, when the book came out we got hammered both from the left and the right and it's because people you know they wanted us just to to line up and say somebody was really stupid and uh and terrible uh and we're trying to you know understand the whole thing and make it work better so that people you know (laughs) even if they don't like it they can at least kind of understand where that other side is coming from but uh, sometimes i get depressed about the the potential for that ever happening
0: right well i i give you credit for for setting that up at, at least you know the and and look you know i i always try to 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 find compromise um and maybe i'm not as left as as people think um and and it, i i i'd like to discuss a bit the evolutionary aspect of this sure. um because it see i think you say at one point that Liberals sort of popped up recently in the grand historical scheme of things uh, because when uh, particularly when you go from hunter gatherer to an agrarian society where you're 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 staying in one place, and this is when uh, uh, agriculture comes, and it's when all of a sudden we have more time to do other things and it's when we start domesticating dogs because they're hanging out around our garbage dumps and, and 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 maybe when humans started to have the leisure time to to think and to imagine more that uh, you're not that worried about all of a sudden being jumped on by a saber-toothed tiger or a competing hunter gatherer tribe and and um and, and so is is that the dawn of liberalism once we once well, we started uh, agriculture <laughs>
2: yeah
1: i mean that was that was very well put by the way um but And we need to say, I suppose, that that's just a theory, right? We don't, you know, the, the bones of a liberal and a conservative look the same, so we we can't say
2: right.
1: what's going on. But I think you could make a reasonable case um, along the lines that you suggest that, that back in the Pleistocene, you know, it was a pretty rough world, and uh, you didn't want to trust a lot of people, and the, the tribe from, you know, over the hill was going to come and hit you on the head, and, and uh, food was short, and, you know, if you had an, an in-group norm violator, that was pretty dangerous. You needed to punish that fellow. Um, and if you've read Steven Pinker's latest book, or maybe second to the latest, where he talks about how how many people died uh, early of violent causes back in the Pleistocene,
2: mm.
1: you know it probably was a good situation to be a conservative in. You didn't want to try a right. lot of new things because you didn't have much room for error. So I think you could at least make a case that liberalism is a bit of a luxury, and that doesn't put any kind mm. of value judgment on. But it just it it wouldn't work in those kinds of environments. And now. It's not that one, you know, you'd be thinking a liberal or a conservative is more evolved. Some people have tried to get me to say things like that, and that doesn't really make any sense.
2: Um,
1: but it could be the case that now in, in the kind of environment we're in, certainly not everybody is in a cushy world, but but it's not like it was in the Pleistocene, that uh, being a liberal and being a little bit more uh, open to uh, situations, where some people would say being open to the possibility of being taken advantage of, you know, we can do that now. Uh, in ways that we couldn't before. And it also may be the case, and we speculate about this in the book as well, that that having a group in which there are some people who are open to new experiences and others that are more wedded to tradition, you know, it could be that putting those things together actually makes for a stronger group than having it lined up entirely on one side or the other.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I'll tell you, if I were president and there was a crisis where uh, there was a military threat, I would certainly want to consult with a, a conservative general. There's no doubt. You know, hear, hear opinions from from all sides. And I think one of the, the disappointing things, though, about where we find our the where we're at now as a country is that the, the rancor between uh, the extremes is so intense. Now and you're you're just seeing some of these I mean, this, just today or yesterday this guy in Texas this Republican uh, state legislator who called uh, the immigration people on oh, right. uh, on the uh, protesters in the state house be, because they were had brown skin so they must be illegal Mexican rapists. Uh, his action was protested by. Uh, of course, Democrats, and he threatened to shoot a fellow legislator in the head. I mean, these people are just—the uh, the violence is. I mean, to me, it's pathological. It's to the point where the, there's a, there's a pathology, and yeah. uh, and it's frightening. And and the, the denial the, the denial of reality. I did, I don't know if you saw the uh, Bernie Sanders questioning Mike Mulvaney the head of the office of management and budget and who he he kept saying no we don't cut medicaid and of course they do by 800 billion dollars or something like that over 10 years no we don't do it and sanders was just going he just, he couldn't believe what he was hearing he was going cuckoo and i do like professor that bernie sanders won uh the de- the democratic primary in nebraska uh, so kudos to nebraskans
1: well you can't very really often give give Nebraskans pat on the back for doing something
0: on the <laughs> left. So
1: yeah, you better you better take that one.
0: Yeah. I was very happy. Well so who who, who describe the Nebraskans who voted for Bernie Sanders. Well,
1: I mean not to pop your balloon here, but let's be realistic. So we're talking about a victory within the Democratic primary. So Democrats are about 30% of the population in Nebraska, and he beat Hillary, I think, 62 to 38 or something. So you got 62% mm-hmm. of 30%. So mm-hmm. uh, you know you're, you're still talking about you know maybe a fifth of the population of the state. So I think we have to keep that in uh, in perspective there.
0: But he did win. Right. Yeah. Maybe I'll move there. <laughs>
1: well, we'd be happy to have you. <laughs> okay, Actually, Lincoln is, you. you know, we need a lot of variety in our studies because we want people not just on the left, on the right, when we bring them in and do these physiological things. So, yes. fortunately, the Lincoln area is pretty nice because Nebraska as a whole is certainly red as could be. But mm-hmm. uh, Lincoln is the state capital and the universities here. So if we do, uh, it's about 50-50 in terms of liberals and conservatives with a good sprinkling oh. of independence. So.
0: Uh, so we, we've got variety in terms of politics in this particular area. Well, it sounds like a very nice community. All right. Uh, thanks for being with us on Pundits Pub. We're, we're out of time. I, I want to uh, mention the title of your book again. It's called Predisposed, Liberals, Conservatives, and the Biology of Political Differences. And you can get it on Kindle. That's what I did. And it's it's fascinating. And and I think that we should all um, try to recommit ourselves to understanding, at least, uh, the other side, and let's not threaten to shoot each other in the head. Uh, would you agree with me, Professor?
1: I would not argue with that at all. I think that's a great way to end.
0: <laughs> okay. A being shot jo- in the head.
1: That's, that's my rule. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right. Thanks for joining, everybody. Good night. Nice to be with you. back.